We're recording. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Roar Lions Radio. This is your host for tonight, Nick Pollock. And tonight I am joined by my co-host of many, many years, but I'm not sure I've ever actually hosted it when we have done it together, but that is a brand new journey we'll be going on together tonight. My lovely co-host tonight is Bill DeFilippo. Bill, how you doing? Uh... Weird. I'm not used to. I'm not used to being on the hot seat. So I'm excited to see how this, how this grand experiment ends up playing out. Yeah, we'll see. It's like I said, it's foreign territory for us. So Blitz, stop growling. <laughs> My we dog get, is not pleased. We get 30 minutes into this historic mile marker in our podcasting friendship, which is. Went to years and years of Nick and I knowing one another and me going to his wedding and all this stuff. And it's immediately derailed by Nick's dog. Oh, Blitz. He's, he's just really excited about the podcast. I think that's what it is. Uh, there's no way that's true. Or he is growling at the people who are having a mattress delivered a few doors down. One or the other. <laughs> one or the other. All right. So we are here for the first time in a couple of weeks. I do apologize for that. Um, I'm I'm kind of spearheading the podcast this offseason. I know a few episodes back I said it would be consistent with that this offseason, but in the last uh, uh, every other weekend for the last three weeks, I've been on a ski trip. I've been in Whistler. I've been in Lake Tahoe. So I've been a little busy. So I do apologize for that. But we are back now. We should get back to our reg- regularly scheduled programming here going forward, which is good because we actually have a few things to talk about in the world of Penn State sports right now. So we're going to hit on we're going to hit a whole bunch of sports tonight. We're going to talk about some football. We're going to talk some basketball. We're going to talk some hockey. We're going to talk some wrestling. We're going to get them all. But I think we should start with the NFL combine. And Bill, I think the first thing that kind of stands out to me about the combine this year is that it wasn't as much of a fireworks show for Penn State as it's been in the past. It's interesting. Like I completely agree with that. I mean, I was looking through a lot of the numbers at the Combine, and I do wonder how much, how different this discourse would have been if KJ Hamler got to do speed and agility drills, which it's That's he, true. Which he didn't get a chance to do that. I mean, he did at uh, basically, you know, about five, eight and a half uh, and 180 pounds. He put up 15 pounds of 225 of the bench press, which... That's really impressive for a dude of his size, and I think you would agree with me that he would have torn up all the agility drills, all the yeah, he would have done a great forty. But I think between that and the fact that not really a ton of skill position guys. I mean, Robert Windsor, Gator Grossmato's defensive lineman, Cam Brown. Uh, God knows what his position would be in the NFL, and then John Reed, who uh, did have a pretty nice showing. It just didn't seem like Penn State sent the kind of freak or freaks that it normally sends. But having said that, they still did a pretty good job, I would say. Yeah, I think so. I Like you said, it, it wasn't necessarily the freakiest crop. You have guys like Cam Brown who are above average athletes, but maybe lack a little bit of size, especially for his position. Um, Yitor Gorsmatos and KJ Hamler obviously are studs, but maybe not aside from KJ Hamler's agility, maybe not necessarily the type of uh, testing studs. I think gross modest, especially he kind of looks like a guy who you would maybe expect to be a dominant tester, but I think his, I think what he does best is on the field and did he, he didn't run a 40, correct? Uh, didn't do a 40 or agility drills. He, he, yeah. I mean, he came in at six, five and two sixty six, which is uh quite the frame. I mean, his bench press was fine, 20 reps of 225, 34-inch vertical, and 120-inch broad jump. So did some nice stuff, especially at his size, but he he didn't do, again, speed or agility drills. Yeah, I think if he had run, then maybe, I I think we anticipate he would have been able to put up a pretty great time. So maybe that would have been cause for a little more fireworks, I don't know. But I, I think this... I mean, this group of Penn State athletes in the draft, I think, is a, is a small step down from where they've been the last few years. Not to any fault of their own. They're, they were up against some pretty stiff competition in that regard with Barkley and Kasicki and Godwin and Sanders and all those guys. But I think overall, it was still a pretty a pretty nice showing. I think it, it seems more and more every day, it seems like K.J. Hamler is just 
despite not running, it seems like every mock draft I read, he's just slowly creeping closer and closer to that first round. He's in the first round of a lot of mock drafts. I'm I'm interested interested to hear what you think as far as where he's going to actually end up getting drafted. Well, uh, I, the thing that comes to mind with a guy like KJ is how the NFL is in this. Uh, I don't want to say it's in like a certain era or anything like that, but. Who were the teams that we saw play for the Super Bowl? It was the San Francisco 49ers and it was the Kansas City Chiefs. And it was a pair of teams that neither of them have kind of what we visualize when we imagine a number one receiver. Not, you know, neither of them have the Randy Moss, the, uh, you know, Terrell Owens, the Larry Fitzgerald, that kind of guy. It's about having guys who are quick, who are fast, and who, when you get the ball into their hands, they're going to be able to make big plays happen to Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders, uh, a Tyreek Hill. And KJ's a guy who fits that mold really well. You could do a lot of stuff with him in the passing game. You can give him the ball in the running game. I mean, Penn State's uh, final play, uh, not their final play from scrimmage, but one of their final plays from scrimmage against uh, Michigan was giving the ball to KJ on a jet sweep and he was able to fight for those yards. I, I think you would agree with me that KJ does sometimes have a little bit of a case of the drop season. He's going to have to iron that out and hopefully he will in the NFL. I mean, nine and three eighths of an inch hands are not bad for a receiver, but the big thing is like, if he could stay healthy he is the kind of weapon that it seems like NFL teams more and more frequently are like trying to get into their system just because he opens up so many avenues for things that you could do in your offense. Yeah, I agree. And I think that I think in the NFL, when it comes to the NFL draft, there's kind of two there's two basic types of teams. There's the one that is scared to do anything wrong and scared to do something that is criticized. And then there's the team that actually drafts who they who they feel the most strongly about you know what i mean like there's the teams that don't want to take a guy in the first round because they don't want to be they don't want to be uh barraged for it and then there's the teams that actually draft based on need and i think that those teams that you talked about the chiefs the 49ers the rams the ravens those teams that have very clearly carved out these specific offensive identities based around centered around versatility and centered around um, explosiveness. I think a team like that Hamler would be perfect for. I mean, really, he I, I keep coming back to Baltimore personally. I think he'd be an awesome fit there. I could see how it would be a little how they may be wary of having two really small headline receivers with him and Marquise Brown. But I Good luck keeping up to them when their running game exactly. is cooking and they have Hollywood and KJ just blazing up the sidelines. Like that would be uh like that would be fun and uh, that would be fun in just looking at some of the other teams at the bottom of the draft. Like the Niners and Chiefs don't need him. The Packers he would be awesome on uh Yeah, and that's the I, I'm not I'm not like gonna you, say the team you want me to say, but he would be fun there too. <laughs> I say, I mean, he he fits really well too with those teams that do have those prototypical big guys because they draw a lot of attention. And if KJ gets an inch, he'll take a mile. So it's, I I think the closer we get to the draft, the higher and higher he's going to start moving up those mock draft boards. I'm that's not to say he'll be drafted in the first round because mock drafts are a total crapshoot. We no one really knows. All it takes is one guy falling further than they need to for the entire board to be shifted around. So obviously hard to say for sure, but I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm really I'm really curious to see what what drills he does participate in at Pro Day and how he how he tests there. Yeah, I mean that basically it feels like as long as KJ one is able to stay healthy and two doesn't have some like catastrophic 40 time, which I, I think is pretty safe to assume he is not going to have some kind of catastrophic 40 time. Like he's going to get drafted pretty high. Like I, first round that'd be nice. I mean, it's a really tough receiver class, so I wouldn't be stunned if, you know, that maybe knocks him down a little bit farther than we'd like to see him go. But like, I feel like it would be a bit of a shock if he goes outside of this, you know, if he isn't picked by some time in round two. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I would. I, the only reason it wouldn't happen, like you said, is because it's such a deep receiver class. I, they're either one of two things is going to happen. I feel like there's going to be those teams that jump on receivers early. I think when the first receiver is chosen, whoever that is, whether it's Judy or Lamb or if Riggs some or uh, Henry Ruggs somehow gets ahead of them, if one of those guys goes really early, the, there's pos- it's possible that a run on those guys happens earlier. But if teams are frankly smart and they wait to get their receivers, then I could maybe see him slipping into the top of the third round, maybe. But I generally agree that he should probably be a first or second round guy. Yeah, and he's he's kind of the he's the guy that I'm a little unsure about when it comes to the guy who I think probably is a bang on first round pick. Yeah, like I think Gross Matos is going to be going there. Uh, I don't know yeah. about you, but. I, I know that most Penn State fans would say that he had a uh, a less than stellar senior, or he didn't quite have the dominant senior season that we expected, especially when it's being compared to Chase Young. But like, I'm inclined to say that with his frame, with some of the stuff we saw him do testing wise, and the production we know he's capable of, like it feels like some team is going to go. Oh, and also like what we saw against Ohio State when he was, you know, he was just an absolutely, absolute menace out there. Like, he just seems like a guy who's going to be going sometime in the first round, and I think you would agree with me on that. Yeah, for sure. And I I agree. I mean, his senior, or not his senior year, his junior year, redshirt junior year was, uh, no, true junior year, was definitely down from his sophomore year, but he set himself a pretty high standard with that sophomore year. And honestly, as long as he didn't totally collapse, I don't think it was really going to matter all that much what he did this past season because what he put on tape as a sophomore and then just the the frame he has and the just ridiculous amounts of untapped potential are enough to make him a first-round pick, especially in a draft where the edge-rushing talent is pretty... gets It gets really... Um, it falls off really quickly. You have the top-end guys like Chase Young, but... After that, in terms of just pure pass rushing, AJ Epinesa, he's not going to be a guy that's drafted for his pass rushing. Um, you have Chasen at LSU. You have uh, you, you got Weaver from Cal. It's There's just not a ton there, which is a good thing for Grossmanos. I think he would have been a first-round pick regardless, but I think it's a good, a good year for him to be in the draft anyway. And I, I like this comparison I see actually on, I'm on his NFL.com profile from the combine right now. And somebody said he resembles a young Jason Pierre Paul, which is a really interesting comp. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, like I always thought Pierre Paul was a little bit more athletic than Gross Matos was. I I mean, yep. I agree. He's was certainly one hell of a pass rusher. And, uh, if, Yitor still is, able, is still is yeah i, I mean if he even with three and a half fingers even with yes but i mean looking at his career he had a 16 and a half sack year 12 and a half 12 and a half eight and a half last year and eight and a half uh three seasons ago like he's a he's an impact player on the edge and even if Yitor uh settles into a niche as a pure pass rusher which I don't know if that would be like, I think he is physical enough that he could be good against the run, but if he's able to just pin his ears back and be a pass rusher, like, yeah, he's, he's going to have uh, one hell of a career in the NFL. And I think he's the kind of guy that if you're a team that needs pass rushing help, if you can't get, you know, a chase young, which, you know, one or two teams have a shot at getting chase young, you'd be very happy with getting a guy like Etor Gross Matos and maybe having to bring him along a little bit, but eventually getting a really good return on your investment. Yeah, I do think he's a guy that a whoever drafts him would be best served to not throw him into the fire right away because he just has, like I said, there's still so much untapped potential that if you just give him a year to get to focus on football all the time, get a little more refined with his technique by year two, he'll be an absolute monster. Yeah. And I want to throw this out to you. The remaining three guys who went to the combine. So Cam Brown, uh, Robert Windsor, John Reed rank them in order of the likelihood that they are 
uh, useful NFL players over the course of their, uh, you know, whatever ends up being their professional careers? I, I want to say John Reed because is being the most the best chance because he did test pretty well and he's such a smart guy he's going to impress teams so just on the pure chances he's going to get he's i think he'll have the most opportunity out of those three guys but cam brown to me just screams career special teamer career standout special teamer so with that in mind i think i have to say cam brown followed by reed followed by windsor i i think windsor has the talent i just think he's he's a little too small to play the type of defensive tackle that he is best suited for in the NFL. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize that he did uh, 21 reps on the bench press. He did have some really good explosiveness uh, testing numbers and he ran a 40 in 4.9 seconds, which I didn't see coming. Yeah, that's at, good out of the big man. So like he's a guy who I, with his motor with uh, you know, if he could bulk up a bit, I think he, has a future, but I agree with you. Like I think John Reed, it's funny because I think he has the tools that you want out of, you know, that kind of slot corner, uh, five ten, three eighths of an inch, four four nine forty, really smart. But I can also see him like playing for two years and going like, okay, I'm going to go work for NASA now or something. True, like that. and yeah. I completely agree on Cam Brown. Like I, I don't know what he is going to be in the NFL, but. A guy with his size and length who runs a four seven, uh, and, and you know he's a he, he can has a thirty five and a half inch vertical, one hundred twenty three inch broad jump. Like it just seems like he's a guy who is going to find some kind of role in the NFL. And I, I, I don't know. Like I I think that all of them have a chance. If I had to rank them, I would probably also go Cam Brown and then John Reed and then Bob Windsor. But it's a it, it's a decent group, even if uh, even if you know they are not the headliners of it. Yeah, I, th- I think the other thing Brown has working in his favor too is that he still has so much room to grow physically. He's he still is such a big frame to fill out. So he could be a guy who. If he adds weight, some good weight, he maybe he's able able to make more of an impact. I just his his linebacker instincts to me just weren't aren't quite quite there for the NFL. But you know who knows? Crazier things have happened. Troy Apke got drafted in the fifth round, so who knows? So someone retweeted it. Uh, you know, well, not someone retweeted. It got a little traction on the blog's Twitter account. And I was just following along during the combine, but the video of Troy Akpi running his mm-hmm. uh, running his forty popped back up again, and I forgot how funny it was that he made Dion Waiters uh, not Dion Wait. Wow, <laughs> sorry, Dion. Uh, he joined the, the Cav- newest Los Angeles Laker. He he. Uh, yeah, he joined the Lakers today, and I had to write that one up. But he uh, Dion Sanders uh, made his voice crack multiple times because he was just so stunned at. Uh, Troy Ackby running a four four whatever it was. So I uh, and, and Troy's like a useful NFL player. I, I'm outside of Saquon and probably Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson. He is the Penn Stater that I'm the most proud of because I did not see him being a useful NFL player coming. Yeah, fair enough. I uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I would I would throw Trevor Williams in there too for me. Yeah, personally. yeah, go Chargers. Yeah. Although I don't think he's there anymore. I think he's somewhere else now. Oh, no. Yeah. The Eagles signed him to a futures contract this offseason. Good birds. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we will talk plenty more about the NFL draft as we actually get closer. We're still over a month away because now it's at the end of April, which I feel like it gets later and later every year. But I guess they need time to work out the logistics of how that uh, boat's going to move across the water in Vegas to bring the guys to the stage. So I guess we'll see. What about? Um, so moving on. So we put out a call for questions on the Twitter account, and we got a quite a mix of sport questions. We, like I mentioned at the top, we have questions about all four of four of Penn State's top sports. Uh, we won't say the top because lacrosse. We didn't get any lacrosse questions, which is good because I wouldn't be able to answer them. But and women's volleyball, going, women's volleyball, <laughs> and women's soccer are still very good. So yes, yes, uh, there's a lot of sports that. That Penn yes. State is incredible at um, that we. 
I did not get any questions about, but hopefully next time. So we're going to start with basketball. So we had a couple questions about the basketball team. Um, and, and Bill has not seen these questions, by the way. So I'm going to pose them to him nope. blind. Um, so let's see, which, what order do I want to do this in? Let's start with this one. So this one's from at I am Brad Minoski. It's a very logical Twitter handle. Well done, Brad. Given the recent skid the basketball program is on, are you confident we can turn it on and make any sort of run in the conference and NCAA tournament? Ooh, that, I mean, that's a good question. I, I, would, I would present it this way. Uh, the losses that Penn State has suffered recently, uh, first off, I think that they are still an excellent basketball team. What they basically did from mid-January to mid-February was outstanding, even with Myrie, especially considering Myrene Jones is out. Uh, being able to beat Michigan State, being able to pick up gutsy win, a gutsy win against a Minnesota team that had beaten them earlier in the year and punked them a little bit earlier in the year, uh, and then just thrashing Purdue uh, in uh, West Lafayette without Myrian. They have that in them. That is all still there. And the losses that they have suffered were against uh, an Illinois team that was able to slow the game down, grind it out. We got, we got IO'd. Right, we got IO'd. And Penn State was obviously starting to get really exhausted from its winning streak by that point. Then they went to Assembly Hall, lost to Indiana in a game where they just couldn't hit shots, beat Rutgers at home on a, you know, a three-by-miles dread that got me jumping, uh, and then lost to Iowa at Iowa, no shame in that, and then blew a substantial lead to Michigan State, but ended up, which, not great, but they fell to Michigan State. What I would argue is that this upcoming game against Northwestern, I think they're going to win that somewhat comfortably. Uh, I think that having, uh, you know, three days off or something like that Having three games to get Myron Jones back into the fold, or four games, whatever it was, and then having this Northwestern game and then having a few days off to kind of just breathe, uh, get their bearings about them, have to play a team that had just played the day before in the Big Ten tournament, I think this is all good for them. Uh, the big thing is getting Myrian back and healthy and into a rhythm. I wrote about this a bit, but he is really one of the most uniquely talented guards in college basketball. He kind of makes things click for Penn State. And I really think that even if they get bounced early in the Big Ten tournament, if they lose their first or second game, anything like that, they're a team that has second weekend potential uh, once the NCAA tournament rolls around just because... Uh, when they are cooking, and I think they will be after getting a week to, again, just kind of get their bearings about them, they're a really dangerous basketball team. And I think that that break would also be really good for Lamar because I don't know about you, Nick, but it just looks to me like Lamar is uh, – he, he's a bit off right now, and he just seems very tired from the load that he has had to shoulder over the last, you know, however many weeks. Yeah, and I agree with you. And Kyle Mosh asked what the hell happened to Lamar last night, uh, referring to the Michigan State game. I, everything you said, I totally agree with. More than anything, this team just needs a break. They just need a chance to sit back and relax for at least a couple days. Lamar, most especially, he just looks like you said, he looks he just looks exhausted, both from this season and from the last four years, really. Like he's he's played so much basketball for Penn State and they have had to rely on his scoring so much. And the thing that, I mean, the thing to me to not, I'm not the most trained basketball eye, but when Lamar's going right, the offense really it's, it's give little, it's give Lamar the ball and get out of the way. That's a lot of extra work for him. Cause he has to dribble and drive and create for himself. He, they just, I feel like they don't run a ton of plays for him. It's just, it's just giving him the ball and letting him isolate. So, I can totally understand why he's tired and he's he has looked exhausted over these last few weeks, these last few games. I think the break is going to be really, really good for them. I I mean, honestly, there is no team in the Big Ten that I look at and say Penn State can't beat them because Penn State. I mean, had, are there Penn any State teams that everyone? Yes. Yeah, is there any team that in the Big Ten that Penn State hasn't beaten this year? Uh, 
Illinois. Or Wisconsin. They only played Wisconsin. Wisconsin, once, right? yeah. Right. So Wisconsin. I think that's it. And well, let's see. They beat Indiana. And they, beat it, uh, Rutgers, they so. play only. They only played Illinois once, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So as, Illinois and Wisconsin. As, as a heads, we are doing a basketball podcast once the uh, once the season wraps up, heading into the Big Ten tournament, hopefully into the NCAA tournament. So uh, yes, it, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is very funny that we are making plans to do a Penn State basketball podcast heading into this like it, this part of the year that isn't just me and Eric and Chad and Dan screaming about how Pat should keep his job. So that's nice. Yeah, and I I'm looking forward to the NCAA tournament podcast because I mean this if there was any year for well actually a few things one if there was any year for the tournament to get canceled because of coronavirus it would be the year that Penn State makes it two if there was any year for Penn State to be able to go on a run in the tournament it's this year because college basketball has been so weird and random and there I mean what there's maybe like two or three teams that you can say are unequivocally really, 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 really good. It's, it's, this is the perfect chance for them to do something that hasn't been seen at this school in a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, everything's going to come, everything's going to come down to one Lamar. Well, three things. One Lamar kind of getting his, uh, you know, getting to, even if it's 85% of peak Lamar Stevens, I think that'd be something that really helps. Two, uh, Mike Watkins being able to be Mike Watkins, uh, the best version of him. Because what I mean, what we've seen out of John Harris has been great lately, but we need Mike. We need to see Mike um, performing at the level that he performs at in his best games. And then Myrian hitting threes, that opening things up for Miles Dread hitting and. Seth Lundy hitting threes, uh, which opens things up for Jamari Wheeler to not have to be so uh, eager to make things happen with the basketball because that's usually when he gets into accidents. Same with Isaiah Brockington and Curtis Jones. So every I really do think a lot of this just comes down to Myrie and as I wrote. Uh, but like you mentioned, when they get into the tournament, there are a, a scant few teams that I think they cannot beat on their best day. Yeah, and I think that is a that's a recipe for a super fun march, I think. Um so moving on from basketball, let's go to let's go to wrestling. I don't know how how uh confidently we can speak on this, but I think we both dabble in enough of wrestling that we could give and we know enough from talking to Rob that we can give a good answer here. Uh Dave M Ray asked how will the wrestling team fare at the Big Ten tournament? What are your thoughts on another national championship later this month? And from what I understand and from what I've seen, basically it comes down to if Iowa is off at all in any way, if if they if they give Penn State an opening, then that that's really where their best chance is going to be. Basically, it's going to take Iowa being at less than 100%, and it's going to take Penn State being at 100% in order to win both of those tournaments. Yeah, uh, I should have... Um, uh, we, I, we, we should have consulted with Rob before this. Uh, but everything that I think... Everything that I know about Penn State Wrestling, which admittedly is not as much as I would like it to be, is that they're going to have chances to win a whole bunch of individual titles. Uh, if that leads to a team title, that would be rather good, but it does seem like Iowa is the team that kind of has the leg up there. Uh, Roman Bravo Young, Nick Lee, Vicenzo Joseph, Mark Hall, uh, especially if Joseph and Hall are able to you know, cap off their Penn State careers by winning championships. But it does say a lot about... Uh, it does say a lot about the program that Cale Sanderson has built in Happy Valley that this is a down year for Penn State, uh, and they are the second best team, second, third, whatever it is, best team in all of wrestling with guys who are expected to, at the very least, get right to the precipice of winning championships. So, hey, listen, at, at this point, all we can hope for is... Uh, they do the Penn State wrestling thing. They're just able to win a whole bunch, and we are able to see them lift another banner in Rec Hall. Yeah, it seems like their kind of their last their last chance push would have been if uh, Michael Beard and Greg. Ugh, well, if Michael Be- if Michael Beard had had his red shirt um, pulled, which it, it looks like that's not happening, and then Greg 
uh, I have no idea how to say his last name. Kirk, Kirkliet, Kirkfleet, Kirkfleet. There's one of those letters has to be silent. I don't know which one it is, but one of them is silent. Um, the transfer from Ohio State did not get eligibility in time. So that because he would have been a national title contender at uh, heavyweight, I believe. So that would have kind of been their last chance. And I mean, I, stranger things have happened. Um, Penn State is close enough that it will kind of only take a could only take a small slip up from Iowa for them to be able to sneak into that sneak into that top spot. But we'll see. It should be a really should be a really both those tournaments should be really fun to watch either way. Um, even yeah, though mean, Penn State is a little worse, they've been really fun to watch this year. Yeah, I mean, you and I are casuals to all of this, so we tune in. Uh, we we turn it tune in when they're going up against Ohio State, when they're going up against uh, Iowa, where they're in those big uh, headline uh, grabbing duels. So we are certainly not the people to speak to this uh, to the extent that we wish we are the people to speak to this. But we're going to be tuning in. Uh, we're going to ha- make sure that Rob does. Uh, plenty of stuff. I mean, I, I want to take a second here to just shout out Rob. Uh, the work that he does for uh, all things Penn State wrestling is just fantastic. And he is the reason that you and I can at least like make it sound like we're kind of uh, BSing this instead of totally BSing this, even though we are mostly totally BSing this. So, yeah. Thanks to Rob, we actually we sound fairly competent in this regard yeah. to to people that don't follow as closely. To people that follow really closely, uh, might not be as good, but who knows. Um, so moving on to another one of Penn State's very successful teams this year, and that's the hockey team. Uh, so we got a question from at PennFal25, um, and they said, what team should the men's hockey team want to play against the most after their quarterfinal round of the Big Ten tournament this weekend? So for those who do not know, the Big Ten tournament starts, let's see, it starts tomorrow, actually. Um, Penn State earned the unbelievably, unbelievably important first round by. They ended up as the number one seed for this tournament, uh, which means they will get to skip straight to the single elimination round, whereas uh, Ohio State and Wisconsin and then Michigan and Michigan State. Alexa, please be quiet. Ohio State and Wisconsin, Michigan and Michigan State, and Minnesota and Notre Dame will all play each other in best of three series. Um, and Penn State will get a chance to play against the lowest seed that advances there. As far as which team I, I personally would like to see, I, the answer is Wisconsin, but I don't think it's very likely that they're able to beat Ohio State. Ohio State's been pretty great this year. So for me, I'm kind of looking at that Notre Dame-Minnesota, the number five against the number four I would probably prefer to see Minnesota. Penn State's played pretty well against Minnesota this year. Uh, not that they haven't played well against Notre Dame as well, but things have been a little easier against Minnesota. So I I think that is the realistic pick, assuming that Ohio State beats Wisconsin and Michigan beats Michigan State. Neither of those are givens, but that that's kind of where I'm looking. Bill, have you gotten a chance to watch any hockey this year? Uh, I have not with how uh, you know I've had to focus on basketball both professional and Penn State so what like I do want to ask you I'm another one of those casual uh Penn State hockey fans that I'll tune in for the big games even if I haven't quite had the ability to do that this year how does this team kind of compare to the teams from the last couple of years where they were Big Ten championship caliber uh, I know this year they needed a little bit of help to get to that point towards the end of the season, but they're able to get to the point where they can win the Big Ten, uh, make it to the NCAA tournament, and eventually run into one of the juggernauts in college hockey, but still look like they belong on, uh, you, you know, against the biggest programs that the sport has to offer. Yeah, I didn't get to watch as much this year as I would have liked to. Um just at getting used to my new job and all that. But I did get to watch a little bit. And I think the thing when I watched this team this year, as compared to the previous couple of teams, uh, I think when this team is on top of its game, it's probably the best iteration of a guy, guy Godowski team we've seen, but they were a little inconsistent this year. They, Definitely lost some games they shouldn't have lost. They let some let some games really get away from them at times. Michigan and Notre Dame and uh, Michigan again. I really don't want to play Michigan in this tournament if possible. Um, 
So I think that's the thing that stands out for me. It's when they're at their best, I think this team is really, really difficult to beat because they can fill up a score sheet if they want to. The defense is solid enough. Um, but as it's usually been with Penn State, the story, it's going to come down to the offense and basically just are they able to outscore their opponent. I think their their seeding in that regard is really helpful. The fact that they don't need to play in a best of three first, they get to jump straight to the straight to the elimination rounds. That is that's awesome for them, and I think that should give them a big a good chance of at least advancing far in the Big Ten tournament. Maybe not winning at all. We'll see, but it should position them pretty well to uh, get to Allen. I mean, they'll be in Allentown. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament, but. Uh, as far as how far they advance from there, I, I kind of tend to think it'll be a similar story to what it's been the past few times they've been in the tournament. It'll They have the firepower to win a game, but it's just going to come down to whether or not they can stop teams defensively, which is a different question for them. <laughs> so to whatever extent you know the answer to this, is there any sort of correlation between having... Uh, that early buy and not having to play a best of three and being able to move on and at least get to the Big Ten championship game? Like, is it, you know, it's good for teams because they don't have the wear and tear, but it's, or is it bad for them because they uh, are, you know, they're going up against a team that have played recently and were able to get into a rhythm, that sort of thing? I mean, I, it's, I don't think it's all that different from any other sport that has. I mean, you talk about like uh, think about base. No, maybe not baseballs. Baseball is not the best example. But um, yeah, I think there's positives, positives and negatives, right? Hockey is a really physical sport. So it's not a bad thing to have a rest at this time of year, um, especially because it's not a long rest. Penn State's last game was uh, February 22nd. And so their next game will be here. Let's see. The second round will start the 14th weekend of the 14th and the 15th. So that's a, well, they'll have two weeks off during that time. Uh, maybe that's a little long and there's definitely is something to be said for getting a chance to get in a rhythm, like you mentioned, but I don't think it's a long enough layoff that it should really have that much of a negative effect. And these kids just play so much hockey during the year and it's such a brutal game to play. It's, it's so physical. It takes so much out of you that I, I, I tend to land on the side that, having the buy is better than even if you have an, an outstanding standout first round, I still think you're in a better position having the buy personally. I don't know if the data in the tournament backs that up or not. I would have to, I'd have to go back and research that, but maybe that could be an article. Actually, that's a good idea. Yeah. All right. So this is not normally how our brainstorming process goes. So we kind of just fell ass backwards into a good idea. So thank you everyone who uh, enjoys listening to the podcast because you just indirectly contributed to the site. Yes, thank you. Um, so let's move on. Now let's jump back over to let's go to football. Um, and this this will be a fairly quick question, I think. Uh, from at Bryant Cavelli asked, "Are there any other quarterback targets besides Christian Valu and Caleb Williams? Since it doesn't seem like Williams is coming to Happy Valley, that's a little premature. I would say that he's not coming. Uh, there's still a lot of time. And yes, he's the top quarterback in the country, and he's highly pursued by lots of teams, but." If uh, if he gets back to campus again, if Penn State shows well when the season starts, if he hasn't made a decision yet, then there's no reason why he couldn't end up at Penn State. But Christian Valu, clearly the more um, plausible candidate at this time. As far as other targets, they a while back they had talked about Garrett Nussmeyer, but I think he's uh, he's kind of off the table at this point. I think it's really just going to be one of those two. And from what it from what it looks like, it seems like. If they want Valu, they can get Valu, and but they're going to still try for Williams. Yeah, and uh, uh, Williams, it, it's interesting. There's a big, uh, broader co- college football conversation about uh, the importance of getting that. You know, the one thing that Penn State has really missed out on during the James Franklin era is the five-star quarterback. I mean, they got Christian Hackenberg before. Um, we're not going to relitigate that because we don't have to. Uh, and then replaced by Trace McSorley, a three-star kid whose backup was Tommy Stevens, another three-star kid. His replacement ended up being Sean Clifford, a three-slash-four-star guy, uh, with his backup being Will Levis, another three-star. Like It's just been the one position where Penn State has seemed to struggle to get elite, elite, elite talent. Uh, and defensive f- tackle. And defensive tackle, but... 
even there, Penn State's been able to get uh, P.J. Mustafer was a top 100 kid. Devon Ellis, I think, was top 200 or so. That sort of thing. So they've still been able to recruit that position much better than we've seen them recruit quarterback. And quarterback is like a very unique position to have to recruit. If they get Williams, that seems like the kind of thing where that could be, the, you know, James Franklin has talked about very I mean, great to elite. I know nobody likes uh, talking about that, but James Franklin wants to be able to make that jump. I, the best way to make that jump might be to get that blue chip quarterback. Who did we just see compete for a national title? I mean, who do we have we seen compete for national titles in recent years? It's Ohio State with Justin Fields, with uh, Dwayne Haskins, it's Clemson with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, it's Alabama with Tua Tagovailoa and uh, Jalen Hurts, it's LSU with what they were able to do with Joe Burrow, which is something of an outlier, but even he, I believe, was a, a four-ish star recruit. He might have been closer to, might have been a I think, three, I think he was right? three, but he, okay. was, he was close, I think. Right, so... They get a kid like Williams, that changes, that potentially changes the complexion of the program with just what it seems like he is as a quarterback with the arm strength, uh, with the ability to run, with the intangibles, all that. Having said that, everything that I've seen uh, out of Valu in the tape that I've watched, he seems like someone who uh, from Canada is now uh, at the Bullis School, which is where Dwayne Haskins uh, went to high school can still grow and still develop as a quarterback, but 6'3 and a half, 200 pounds, a little bit of mobility. He has a good arm, uh, looks like a really smart quarterback. He's the kind of guy that I think he could do some really, really, really good things at Penn State, and in the event they're not able to get Williams, he does seem like certainly not a bad consolation prize, not by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, he reminds me of Clifford in a lot of ways. He's a good... good, kind of pro style quarterback, but he has good athleticism and he has mobility. Um, and I do stand corrected. Burrow was a, on the composite, he was a four star okay. number two eighty overall on two, two, four, seven sports. He was the, uh, number 210 player overall. So he was, okay. he was still pretty highly ranked. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, Williams obviously is the, the home run, the guy you want. And it's it, like you said, it's the one position that Franklin has not been able to get, that absolute top of the line five star player and until they if they are not able to take that step into national title contention it's a fair question of asking whether they will or not unless they're able to get that guy i do think that if kirk shiraka if he is able to help if he's able to help Clifford make the same sort of jump that Tanner Morgan made from freshman to sophomore year, mm-hmm. if he's able to do that at two different places with two different guys, I think that's going to speak volumes. And I think that could really have a very positive impact on quarterback recruiting. But we shall see. And and I'm glad you mentioned Shiraka because it he has shown that he is able to do a whole hell of a lot with a lot less. And I think that with Penn State this year, you, I, I think you will agree with me that the team's game, offensive game plan is not going to be predicated on being able to basically run a what, – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not, not the air raid, nothing like that. But what they're going to do, their bread and butter is going to be running the football. They have – the offense, they have an offensive line that should be really, really good at winning up front, and they have so much talent at running back that they can afford to be a little bit more conservative with Sean Clifford with the passing game. Uh, you know, Pat Frymuth is essentially an extra offensive lineman or essentially an extra wide receiver, whatever you need out of him. So I th- would not be surprised if Clifford doesn't put up huge numbers, you know, the kind of stuff that catches the eyes uh of those blue chip recruits. But I do think in the situations where they need Clifford to throw the football, they're going to, he, he's going to be a very, very dangerous passer. And that's something that would appeal to, would appeal to a Caleb Williams. Will you appeal to any 2022 blue chippers? That sort of thing. Yep. Totally agree. Uh, so Bill, we're going to move on to the last question we got here and it's a silly question, which means it's a great one to end on. So this question from uh, Noah Kreckel, 
He said he thought of these questions for football, but if we want to do them for basketball, that's okay. So I'm going to mm. kind of combine that. What player from each team is representing the each Big Ten program, I believe is how he meant it. Yeah, what player from each team is representing the Big Ten in a cage match, and how does it play out? So I'm going to turn this around a little bit, and let's just pick a couple teams and say if there was a, let's say, a 2v2 cage match, you have to pick one basketball player and one football player from the school to represent them, who would they be? So let's start with Penn State. If you had to pick a football player and a basketball player to represent the university in a cage match... Who are you picking? This is a really bad question to be posed without having any idea that it's coming. Um, basketball team, I'm going to go with Jamari. He's a scrapper. He's a fighter. He's tough as nails. Like That's a dude that I would not want to run into. And then uh, football, uh, probably Micah because I because Mike is a freak, but if I had to pick someone else, I mean, I think PJ Mustafer was like a state champion wrestler, so I would not want to trifle with him under any circumstance. Mm. Yeah, I like the Micah pick just because he's also he also has the background of wrestling, so he kind of has a little bit of an understanding of mm, that fighting style too. Um, yeah, I think I agree with that. I think that you could make an argument for Mike Watkins in there too. Keep guys at arm's length. I don't know. Yeah, Mike's a big dude. I the the entire. So I think one thing that we have to like lay out with all of this is that every single one of these people would beat the snot out of Nick and I. So oh, yes. uh, we really just want to make that clear. But uh, yeah, sure. I, why not, Mike? And then rather than going around every single team, if you could, let's, let's see, who would be the one football player from any other team in the conference that you would be the most scared of in a cage match? And then we'll do basketball too. And I'm going to think with you because I have not thought about this yet. Uh... Well, good thing Kalik Hudson's gone because he would have been a <laughs> he, he would have been a very very easy answer to this question. Um, trying to think, Ohio State guys. Uh, Ooh, uh, Zach Harrison probably. Uh, would I not was be thinking fun. Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith because both of those dudes are mm. just like like Ohio State gets like big, strong, physical, tough dudes along its offense, and they're also all like for some reason just remarkably fast so it might be yeah yeah then uh basketball i will just say everybody on michigan state because i do not want to mess i do not ever want to mess with (laughs) anyone uh who plays basketball for tom Izzo because all of them are just like super tough i want you to answer this and then i'm going to change the question and pose it to you okay um as far as basketball i daniel otuber would not be a fun time yeah um Neither. Ooh, sticks. Sticks would sticks would be rough. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll go with those two. All right, so I'm going to uh, change this up on you now and say uh, we'll do this first for uh, we will do this first for football, and then we will do it for basketball. Every coach is thrown into a cage match. Uh, every football coach is thrown into a cage match uh, from the Big Ten. Who ends up winning it? Hmm. Um, I would not bet against Greg Schiano. That seems like a good one. Yeah, I, 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 I feel like a lot of people are going to say, "Oh, you should say uh, Pat Fitzgerald here," but like Pat Fitzgerald has seemingly rebranded from like, uh, whoa, he he rebranded yeah. from he rebranded from I I played football five minutes ago professionally. To I'm a 95 year old in a however old he is just, his body he, who just like cracks really bad jokes all the time like it, yeah. very very weird like I feel like he shouldn't be on Mel Tucker seems like a tough dude the newcomer uh, yeah over at I can, Michigan I can State also, I could also see Fitzgerald like going way too hard early on like trying to take on everyone at once yeah I think that would be his downfall I could see Lovey just like coyly avoiding everybody until he has to lay one final hit. Yeah. What what he seems like he would be the, the calculated smart savvy one. Tom Allen uh, might be someone we are overlooking here because dude is just like pure energy. 
That's a good one. Uh, he, he seems like a scrapper. Uh, going down the list, Ference. And he, he's the better kind of energy than Fleck. Correct. He's mu- yes. His energy is much better suited for that environment. Right. Like, going down the uh, the rest of the list, like, Loxley, uh, he, he, eh. he, he seems like, he, he's a tough dude. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's been, certainly been around the block uh, just with all the stops in his coaching career. Like, but... So something about him just doesn't scream he'd be a good fighter. Uh, Harbaugh? Nope. Fleck? Uh, nah. Fleck, Fleck and Fitzgerald would go after each other immediately. Right, exactly. Uh, Scott Frost, uh, you know, big dude, former athlete, but he also just seems like way too mellow to, uh, yeah. to win a fight. Uh, Ryan Day? Probably not. It's too small. Yeah, he's not, he's not a particularly big dude. Uh, Franklin, uh, he doesn't... Nope. See- he seems like he would do good in a fight just, you know, being smart, being really calculated, but he also just seems like an extremely nice person. So I, and I have a hard time picking very nice people and these sorts of things. Uh, Jeff Brom, eh, probably not. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he did hire Bob Diaco and Bob I could, Diaco. I could be talked into Jeff Brom. I, I probably could do. You mentioned Shiano and then Paul Christ, uh, probably not. No, Chris, Chris, uh, Chris would do whatever he had to do to not get in that ring. Yeah, he's a, yeah, yeah, that, that, that seems about right. Uh, Moving over to basketball, uh, we'll go down the list. Brad Underwood, uh, I, you know, Mm. he seems like a, he seems like a kind of guy that wouldn't, it it wouldn't be fun messing with him. So perhaps him, uh, Give me a second. The, uh, the the Wikipedia page I'm on just had a weird moment. Okay, uh, Ar- Archie would be Archie would be gone first. No, Ar- Ar- Archie's gone. Fran, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I do not want to fight Fran McCaffrey. Uh, Mark Turgeon, uh, his team would enter. I mean, he would enter with very high expectations and live up to them, but f- somehow disappoint the entire way. So, of course. Uh, Juwan How Juwan was in the NBA Ooh. for a long, long, long time. Uh, yeah. He's also like a very good person. Uh, so that, that might be tough, but he's a tough hard as nails dude. So we'll maybe not. Izzo, uh, undersized scrappy, but ultimately <laughs> probably not. Uh, Richard Pitino. No, no. Uh, Fred Hoiberg. God, no. Fred Hoiberg no. is far too nice. Uh, wow. This is a very different fight than the football. It coaches. is. Yeah. Uh, Chris Collins. No, I mean, he no. seems like the kind of like, the certain kind of energy where he wouldn't be particularly good uh, in this sort of thing. Chris Holtman, again, far too nice. Pat is very nice, but Pat's also a tough dude. So like Pat, Pat has seen some stuff, right? Pat would stick around like Pat's uh, t- t- like we said, Pat's a very tough dude. Uh, Matt Painter, big guy. Uh, That's an interesting one. I, I feel like people would, uh, I, I feel like Matt Painter is the kind of guy that would, walk in and do a decent job, uh, but probably wouldn't. And I, he is six, six. So who knows? Maybe, maybe Matt parents, Steve Peichel, uh, great coach. I don't know how he would be as a fighter. He's way, he is way too nice. Yeah. He seems like a, he seems like a nice guy, but a tough coach. So that sort of thing. And then Greg guard. No, but I, I don't know. Wow. So. There's a lot of guys there's a, a lot of these coaches. I didn't realize how many like nice guy coaches there were in the Big Ten. Right. So I'll go with Brad Underwood and Juwan Howard as like a final two, and then Juwan winning. But yeah, yeah, it has to be Juwan. Yeah. So any, okay. Anything else we are uh, supposed to be talking about, or are we one done? one more question from Noah? Mm-hmm. He said he posed this on the site a while back. But what does a team of Big Ten coaches look like? Who do you want playing offense or defense late in the game? So I'm gonna I'm gonna just tweak this a little bit and just turn make this about Penn State uh, football coaches. And I'm going to use this as inspiration for a different question: Which of Penn State's position coaches do you think would play a different position than what they coach, and what would that position be? So we can kind of go down the list. Uh, Shiraka. Do you see him playing quarterback? Hmm. Um, he's pretty small. Did he, did he play, uh, 
Did he play quarterback during his football days? Uh, let me look at this. Let's up. See. He was a, he was a defensive back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I sure. Well, we we will say he would return to the position that he knew best, which is a defensive back. He would be a slot corner. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Juwan Sater at running back. I feel like that one. That one feels right. He he I has think. the swagger or tight end. He has the swagger to play running back. Like the dude is just that's like, true. He is the man, and I think he could do. Uh, uh, he would do a very good job there. Let me. Uh, I think he was a quarterback. Is, he would. He would definitely don the lawn boys chain. That's for sure. Oh yeah, like he was. He was a quarterback when he played, but uh, he played at played at WVU. So yeah, I mean, I suppose he would be a running back, but I don't know how nece- how we would necessarily quantify that. Yeah. Uh, the next few are pretty easy. Tyler Bowen obviously would be an offensive lineman. Yes. Uh, Troutwine, obviously an offensive lineman yes. and Stubblefield, obviously a receiver easy switching over to the defensive side of the ball. So let's go defensive line. John Scott jr. Uh, I will say ask again later because, uh, we still have to, uh, word That's about true. John Scott as the newest member of Penn state's uh, coach staff, but he was a defensive end, uh, in college. So that, that does make sense, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, we don't really know much about him yet. That's a good point. Um, let's see. Moving into linebackers, Brent Pry. I think Brent Pry is a born linebacker. Uh, yeah, he uh, he played safety in college, so one of the either like middle linebacker or safety, just some kind of brains of the defense position. Yeah, some something up the something up the middle. Um, let's see, cornerbacks. We have Terry Smith. Uh, he's a wide receiver. I, Terry yeah. Smith was a wide receiver in college yep. so. so that's an easy one and then uh safeties we have john banks what did tim banks yeah. sorry tim banks um what did tim banks play tim he's a cornerback okay yeah corner corner back. yeah so uh sure he will he, he can stay uh stay yeah, as a that's safety. Fine. and yeah. then joe lorig what did he do? He Joe Ward, says, he was a cornerback. He went Oh, there it is, yeah. First at Walla Walla and then at Western Oregon. He's from Walla Walla. Oh no, he played at Walla Walla. He's from okay. Edmonds, Washington. Okay. I don't know where that is. Let's see. Edmonds, Washington. Folks, aren't I know... you glad you listened to this podcast? <laughs> oh, okay. That's very close to me, actually. Yeah. That's right near Shoreline. Um, yeah, so that makes that makes two coaches on the Penn State staff that are from Washington now because Stubblefield is from Yakima, where my family's from. Oh, there you go. Interesting. Okay, so it seems like most of them most of them are in their right spot then. Yeah, well, I, I, it's interesting. I would love to know um, just with you know a guy like Shiraka, who he wasn't a he was a defensive back during his playing days, how he ended up becoming a quarterback's coach and a, uh, and an offensive coordinator, whether or not like that took any sort of training from his brain, like to just start thinking in that sort of way, or if you feel yeah. like he has some kind of inherent advantage as someone who played, uh, as someone who played, cornerback and kind of had to get a sense of what an off or defensive back and kind of had to get a sense of what it, the uh the offense is doing at all times so that would be a that's that is an interesting conversation that uh perhaps one day we will get an answer to that question yeah i i wonder if there is any sort of like obviously not actually mandatory but like some sort of self-imposed like you you're an offensive you're a wide receivers coach but let's say spend some time with the defensive backs learn learn how they think a little bit and use that to kind of inform your own coaching it's it's an interesting interesting thought because there there have been a lot of guys that we've seen flip over in that way right um obviously terry smith being one of them so it's yeah that's an interesting that's an interesting thought one that hopefully yeah hopefully we can get a coach on here sometime soon and we can talk about that that'd be great yeah, we will we will put that on our big list of things to do. Yeah. Um with that though, Bill, I think I think we're done for the night. Anything else you want to talk about? Uh no, I'm uh 
I, I'm inclined to say that we're good on this one. All right, cool. Well, like Bill said, there is a basketball podcast summit coming sometime in the near future before the Big Ten tournament, I would assume. Yes, we hope to do that uh, on Sunday this week. Okay, cool. So hopefully there will be another podcast uh, in your inbox here pretty soon. Uh, make sure that you're following Roar Lions Radio on all of the different podcast locations. You can find us. You can get us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, uh, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Podbean. There, there's so many places to get podcasts. It's crazy. Um, but we are on all of them. It would be very helpful if you could leave us a review on iTunes that helps us get into more ears. It would also be very helpful if you could follow us on Spotify. You don't, you don't need to only follow us in one place. Follow us in all the places. That way you always have us right on hand whenever you need us. Um, we will continue with our off-season podcast here. Uh, throughout this month, we'll probably keep it more general and talk about things as they come up. But I think in the month of... Now, as we get to April, we'll talk, probably talk NFL draft. But when we get into May, that's probably when Matt and I will start our "What If" series, which well, is going to be a lot of fun. A- April is a uh, April blue white season, baby. Oh, and blue white season, yeah. So we got we got plenty to talk about in April. So we'll we'll hang on we'll hang off on the the truly truly random out there stuff for a little after that. Um, but yeah, make sure you're following the podcast. Make sure you're reading the site. If you want to support the site, go on our store. Still have plenty of great shirts, uh, plenty of things for purchase there. And make sure you keep listening to the podcast. So for myself, Nick Pollock, for my co-host, Bill DeFilippo, thanks for listening. Have a great night. 